and welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. This week, I'm in Surrey at the beautiful home of someone I'm surprised I've never met, as we have so many friends and colleagues in common. Rosie Nixon worked at Hello Magazine for almost 16 years, formerly as editor-in-chief. She's been immersed in a glamorous, exciting career, a high-octane world of photo shoots, press launches, interviews and parties, documenting the lives of celebrities and royalty featured in the glossy pages of one of Britain's most popular lifestyle magazines. But just over a year ago, the morning after another hugely successful A-list event, Rosie hit rock bottom. She realised she was on the brink of burnout, exhausted and running on empty. And despite an outwardly looking enviable and fabulous role, lovely family and children she didn't feel happy. Over the last year, she's worked through difficult times, discovering what she needs from this stage of her life, and has come out the other end with a diploma in coaching and a determination to help other exhausted midlifers fathom it out. She's halfway through her fourth novel for HarperCollins and still works a day a week as Hello's editor at large. Rosie, I am surprised our paths have never crossed. It's very nice to meet you and at such an exciting time. Yeah, thanks so much, Helen. Yeah, very surprised too. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks for inviting me on. You're very welcome. Now, editor at large, which is what you're doing at Hello Magazine, almost sounds like you're on the run and wanted. It does. (laughs) What exactly is editor at large? It's a good title, isn't it? It does feel as though I'm sort of roaming around doing my thing. But I host the podcast in a good place for Hello. So really enjoy podcasting. And we've got some other plans to launch a new series as well. And I'm really into the idea that Hello can use its platforms to inspire our audience. And obviously we have a large audience of midlife women. So I'm there for all of that positive well-being content. So really enjoy still keeping a hand in with the magazine, but obviously not running the mags at all day to day. So yeah, moved on with my career. Paint as a picture for me, if you can, Rosie, of what it was like running Hello full time when you were editor in chief. Well, I loved that job, you know, and I think that is a really important part of my story. It was a massive chapter in my career, nearly 16 years at Hello, worked my way up. I initially went in as assistant editor and then became a joint editor and then edited the magazine for a number of years and then was editor in chief for about six years, I think, across the weekly magazine and also our fashion title, Hello Fashion. And I loved it. I thrived there, had some wonderful opportunities traveling around the world, attending some incredible events. But in that period of time, obviously, the media landscape changed enormously. And the brand went from being predominantly a print publisher to a multi-platform brand. And with that, all of our roles change and evolve as is happening across the media landscape. So hello is no exception to that. And the role of the editor-in-chief became very different. And I found that I was spread quite thinly across lots of different areas of the operation. And again, loved aspects of it. But then it just reached a point where I guess as a midlife woman, I'm 48 now. So I was probably about 46 when I started to have these feelings, running a young family at home, the juggle of life, different health concerns. I started to experience perimenopause symptoms, especially anxiety, which had quite a big impact on my well-being around the age of 47. And also the pandemic, you know, this incredibly 
challenging time where the workplace has changed exponentially, you know, since we haven't gone back to our workplaces in the same way. I found that quite a challenging time working from home, running the magazine week in, week out from my bedroom. So there was very little differentiation between work time and home time. And I think it was almost like a perfect storm of all of those things coming into play at the same time. Before we investigate that perfect storm Mm. and when your perhaps moment came or the tipping point came for you, what are the most exciting times you look back on? What are the shoots you're involved in or perhaps trips abroad that will still stand out as fantastic hello memories for you? Yeah, gosh, so many from covering the Oscars. We were talking about that earlier and I know that you did as well in your GMTV days, being at these incredible occasions that are going to go down in history as well. Royal weddings were obviously a really big moment in the hello office when we'd work for 24 hours basically to put out a souvenir issue in double time. So we'd all get to the office early, have all the pages planned out and then the news event would unfold through the course of the day and my role would be busy working with all parts of the magazine team pulling the best pictures from the thousands that would be dropping in every split second to the writers that we had out and about capturing the atmosphere and putting together an issue that we knew would stand the test of time that would possibly be passed down through generations. Hello has a very special place in its readers' hearts almost as being the magazine of record. So when there is a big moment in British history, Hello would be there covering it, such as a royal wedding. Obviously, lots of showbiz weddings. I was lucky to travel around the world and cover plenty of those. Many memories from Martin McCutcheon's wedding in Lake Como to interviewing Robbie Williams the night before his wedding at his home in LA, which was a top secret wedding. Hello had the exclusive. So, so many amazing moments. It's hard to pick out one that was the bigger than all of the others, really. But it was a big machine. And we put this magazine to bed every single week. So sometimes it'd be almost hard to remember what you were doing last week or the week before because you're straight on to the next. And I thrived in that environment, absolutely loved it for many, many years. And I imagine that your diary was absolutely back to back. It was, like the diaries of many working people. Yeah, there's nothing particularly extraordinary, I don't think, about my story. And it was busy. And I look back now and think, gosh, we were in the office five days a week as well. So up the crack of dawn with young children, getting them off to nursery or to school, and then straight into the office every day. And then I'd generally be out at least twice a week, probably more. It was a pretty frenetic lifestyle, (laughs) But I chose it and I was very happy in it for a very long time. I think what's nice, Rosie, about your story is that your eyes sparkle when you talk about the years at Hello Magazine and the excitement. But I get the sense that once you realised that something was different and that you perhaps weren't getting the joy and happiness that you always felt, you did stop. And I know that for a lot of people, a moment comes when they realise that they need to do something drastic or make a massive life change. 
What was happening in the world leading up to your moment, if you like? Yeah, well, I am a huge believer in that you've got to find the joy. I mean, you mentioned that word then. And life is very short and it is possible to bring in the money that you need to, to support your family, but you've got to really feel it in here. And I think I was beginning to feel that my purpose wasn't quite there. And then with my purpose wasn't there, I wasn't feeling the joy in the way that maybe I once did. And as I touched on earlier, I think it was a number of things, certainly perimenopause symptoms. I'd been starting to feel this sort of anxiety at the beginning of the week or even at the beginning of the day or going to bed, you know, that was impacting my sleep, just the amount that I had to get through the next day. And the anxiety of how it was all going to be and whether I would make that train and be able to fulfill all the things that I wanted to fulfill in my life and be there for my children more than I felt that I was. So I guess my priorities were changing slightly as a person and also my values were changing and I didn't actually realise this or dig into it more deeply until I did some training to become a coach, which again was life-changing for me really, this self-awareness that that evoked around my values, which and values to explain to somebody who might not know that very coaching term is all about the things that make you tick. Like what really makes you get out of bed in the morning? What's really, really important to you at this stage of life? So I think beginning to understand those, and for me, it was around purpose. And I loved many aspects of my job at Hello because I could press that button. And ironically, I'd just been hosting the Hello Inspiration Awards, which was an annual event that we held to celebrate inspirational women across all walks of life. And that was one of the things I really loved about my job at Hello. But I didn't love so much being constantly on deadline, having to keep an eye on all the royal and showbiz news of the day. It just wasn't really feeding me in the way that it once did. And I think that's okay as well. It's learning to be all right with that and to accept, well, I've just evolved as a person and it's just not for me anymore. And actually that is all right. It was never about not working for me. I mean, I need to work and I wanted to work, but it was just about redesigning what my working life could look like so that it filled me with joy again. And so that it tapped into my values at this stage of life. And was there a wake up moment I don't know whether this is accurate or not, but one of the articles I read about this transformation that you've been through was that you were in a luxury London hotel suite waking up after another glamorous and successful event when the penny really, really dropped. Is that the case, Rosie? If so, what event was it and how did you feel when you woke up? Well, yeah, that is the case. I think for many people, there is a moment when you sort of realise or your body tells you or something happens and you think, right, that's it. And for me, it was that morning and it was the morning after our inspiration awards I'd been in a hotel in London for a couple of nights you know amazing on paper and and I do caveat and the piece you're referring to that was in the telegraph you know I do caveat in that sort of keeping a sense of perspective on all of this as well you know this isn't a woe is me sort of story but it was my moment and I think we have to value individual moments as well and you know and if we don't then that's when people can spiral because they think that their thing isn't bad enough in comparison to anybody else well if you're feeling it then it's important to you so I'd been in this hotel for a couple of nights I'd been working late 
God, for just night after night, getting this event ready. I'd written all the scripts for it and was hosting it. And we were welcoming a whole room full of very high profile people. The Queen had died about 10 days before. So I'd been on nonstop work duty throughout the whole of that time, putting out a number of special issues in the magazine. So again, a perfect storm of lots of things all coming into play around the same time. And I woke up that morning after the Inspiration Awards, which had been a tremendous success, should have marked a career high, really. But I just couldn't take in all the messages of congratulations because I had missed calls from my sons from the night before when I'd been busy out still entertaining people at the hotel. I had an exploding phone is kind of the way I would describe it. Just looking at it made my head just want to you know, explode. It was full of alerts and unread emails, messages, social media. I just couldn't compute it all. And I think it was scary in the sense that my body just wanted to collapse. I think all of the energy and the adrenaline that I'd been running on for the past two weeks, but actually probably the past years before that as well, just seemed to catch up with me in that moment. And I was exhausted and I just had this urge to just throw my phone out of the window and never see it again, which is completely unlike me. I knew I had a day of meetings planned that day as well. We had a daily conference with the team at 10 every day. I felt totally unprepared for it. I just thought I'm done. Those were the words that I just kept hearing over and over in my head. I'm done. This is it. Something's got to change. So I called my husband after I'd kind of burst into tears and then got myself back together again, who was amazing, always a voice of reason, very calm. And and I think he wasn't actually completely surprised. I think a number of those that were close to me had probably seen this building for a period of time. And I guess myself as well, I'd been ignoring that little voice in my head that was persistently telling me that I wasn't enjoying this the way that I once did. And I think stress can build as well when all of the things that you're doing day to day that are making you physically exhausted are not things you're particularly enjoying. Coming back to joy again, because if you're filling your life with things that you love, then you don't tend to interpret that as stress. You might say you're really busy, but it's not stressful. Do you think you were showing the classic signs of burnout? Do you think that's what it was, Rosie? Yeah, I think I was and I wasn't because I I ended up getting some help from a doctor and then I saw an occupational health doctor, which was actually super helpful because they were somebody, yeah, and often people get really scared if you're sent to occupational health. I think that's quite an old fashioned way of looking at it, that that means, oh God, you're on your way out, you know. But actually I was really keen to see occupational health because it gives you a objective environment in which to discuss what's really going on with you within the workplace. And then that doctor writes a report that is sent to your employer, which can open up a really productive conversation. And that's good to think of it as opening up a productive conversation because you can see why people would be fearful. Yeah, I can. Whether it's get interpreted as an admission that you can't do the job. I I could see why people would be worried or nervous to do it. Absolutely, of course. But it was clearly a positive. Well, it was a positive. And I think it really can be because it does give you that ability to be able to talk about your physical health alongside your job because. Really, it was a quite a penny dropping moment for me to realise that my physical health 
was absolutely linked to my levels of stress. And to be honest, I hadn't connected the two before. And I think for many people, it's like a penny dropping moment. And it was actually that doctor who said to me, look, why do you think so many people burst a blood vessel or have a heart attack in their 50s? It's because they've ignored the signs of stress and it eventually will have an impact on your physical health. I think you ignore the signs of stress at your peril, really, because stress lives in our nervous system, doesn't it? It lives and in our nervous system, yeah. It, and it's so only in recent times I've realised how, how damaging stress yeah, can be. Absolutely, and it can build up and up. So it was a wake-up call to me, and I didn't actually tick off all of the characteristics of burnout, of which there are some that are the agreed characteristics of burnout. And I think one of them is a sort of feeling of hopelessness. And I didn't really have that. I felt like I was still operating and firing on all cylinders, but I just didn't know how to stop. I just wanted to jump off this roller coaster, but I just didn't know how. So how what did on you do? earth I would kind of unravel this situation I was in. And I think identity comes into it as well. I felt so tied into my identity as editor-in-chief of Hello. And a big part of me felt like, well, what am I without that, you know? And I needed to confront that. I really wanted to do that work around, well, I'm me. I find it such an interesting question to ask yourself as well. Like, who are you? And if you're not allowed to say your job title or your position within a family, it really opens up quite an interesting question. Well, well who are you? And who did you find that you are when you asked yourself that question? Yeah, well, I was someone that was very creative, that loved writing, that loved a lot of the aspects of my role at Hello and that I wanted to do more of, but that I wasn't being true to that, to who I really was now as a midlife woman. And your values change as you age. And I think every now and again, it's a really good exercise to stop and pause. And mine was an enforced stop because I did get signed off from work for three weeks in the end because I was forced to stop because, you know, I think I was heading to full burnout if I hadn't done and take stock of who you are. And I did lots of journaling in that time I was off, really tried to drill into my concept of success as well and what that really meant to me now. And it's very different to what it meant to me 20, 30 years ago when I started off in the world of work. And it was a real time of kind of enlightenment, really, and being really, really honest, which is so hard for any of us to do. And I actually wrote lists of the things that were fulfilling me still in life and the things that weren't. And the things that were on the weren't list were quite scary to admit, given my current role at Hello!, but I had to be true to myself and go through that process. And then eventually I came out with a list of the things that really were fulfilling. And it sounds so simple when you boil it all down. You think, well, I need to do more of that and I need to build a career around that. For such a capable woman and for somebody who's had a very dynamic career, I would imagine it could have been quite nerve-wracking actually being signed off for three weeks. But how did you know, Rosie, where to look? To How did you know to maybe get your thoughts on paper and yeah. journal? And was it just your mind guiding you because you'd actually got time to breathe and to stop and think without the next Zoom or meeting in the diary? Yeah. I think partly it was that time to stop and think, to pause is just so valuable to just be able to put a bit of thinking time into you. Because I honestly hadn't done that for years and years. And I think 
we don't. And every time perhaps I did, I would always get pulled back, which I think probably lots of other women and men will relate to feeling, well, I've got so much to be grateful for. I should just be grateful that I've got this and I've got this great job and lots of aspects of it are wonderful. But when that little voice is not going away in your head that something's not right, then eventually it will reach a crescendo and then maybe your pause will be medically induced. So having that chance to pause, number one, was really crucial and to let the thoughts be able to ebb and flow. And I did tonnes of walking all around the Surrey countryside. We've only been living here for about two and a half years. So at the time, only about a year. So I now know all the secret footpaths (laughs) around the Surrey Hills. And I was listening to podcasts various podcasts with them, did all the Brené Browns and the Mel Robbins, and also a number of coaching podcasts as well, because that was something that had always kind of interested me. I'd been a mentor before through women in journalism and enjoyed that, but I'd always wondered about coaching and whether I should retrain. So I listened to those and that really sort of was striking a chord with me and got me quite excited again. And it wasn't just three weeks work. I mean, obviously it took a lot longer, but it set me off on that journey of thinking, right, I can get out of this and I deserve to have a happier and a fulfilled life and to be fully healthy. So it's all about little stepping stones in how I'm going to get there. And obviously it's not sound advice to advise anybody to just leave your job because all the decisions we make need to be rooted in reality. And, you know, my husband and I had to do all the financial planning and figure out how much I would need to earn if I was to leave this job and whether there could be a period where I would retrain alongside still doing my job in some form and having open conversations with my employer They're always difficult to broach, but I did find that occupational health helped me instigate that. And I was very lucky in that I had an employer that was willing to listen. And again, I felt strongly that if Hello's a media brand representing, you know, there for women, a lot of midlife women, the chances are that there's quite a few others out there that are feeling like me. And how could we do something here that we could all be proud of. So, you know, so what this is why your, I'm doing this podcast today. What does your new life look like, Rosie? What are you doing? Tell me about the coaching side and, and how you hope that this will help other people, not just women, men as well. A recent report found almost half of UK workers are running on empty with burnout, mental ill health and work-related stress, costing the economy £28 a year. So you're certainly not by a long chalk on your own. But how how is your new world and what are you doing? Well, I mean, all of that happened in October 2022. So I'm kind of a year and a half away from that now. And I did go back to work initially three days a week and reinvented my role there, looked at how we could make it work for the business in terms of doing more purpose-driven content, which was really my great passion as well. So talk to my boss about a business case for that. So that worked really well. And then in one of my days off, I did this coaching training. I studied with Optimus Coaching just half a day every day for about six months and absolutely loved it as much for the self-awareness as for the skills and the tools that I've learned on how to be a life coach. So I passed that last August. And again, it was just the experience of meeting a whole new group of people where nobody cared 
what my job was in the day or had been. I just turned up as Rosie and that was so brilliant as well and freeing and again helped me get around this feeling of identity that actually I am enough as me. I don't need to hide behind this job title anymore. So I think the learning again was a really big one and I think that helps to spread out your status because as human beings status is important to us and it has been since you know you look way back at ancient man status was always really important within a tribal setting or within villages there was always a hierarchy but when all of your status is tied to one role within a job i think it can be really really tough and hit you hard when things aren't going great there so i've really learned that spreading out that status so having my coaching having more time around home to be a mum having the clients that I coach privately, having the book work that I do. As you can tell, I do quite like to be busy. I do thrive <laughs> in a busy world, but I'm spreading out my status now. So if things are going not quite so well in one area, well, that's all right, because I've got all the other things and it just leads to a much happier life. I was going to say, are you feeling happier and much more fulfilled? You've got a sort of, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a portfolio, portfolio. Exactly. A portfolio career. Portfolio career, which I love. And I'm doing some consultancy for brands as well, because I realised that all of that experience that I had at Hello, as I said to you, I loved that job. And it was a great time in my life and I didn't want to feel as though I was ending it in a bad way. That felt really important to me to honour how brilliant it was. But it's okay to change. It's okay to develop. It's okay to want a new chapter as well. And it's okay to give somebody else that opportunity exactly. as well that, yeah. that you thrived on and, and enjoyed so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm all here for supporting, yeah, my, you know, the, my successor. So that all feels really, really good and positive. And I'm just so glad that I had the guts to do it, really, to honour what I felt deep inside. I think there's perhaps a case for for stopping around that, you know, we talk about midlife quite a bit, around that midlife stage, because your life is different when you've been in a career 20 or 30 years. And then in some ways, I think there's a golden opportunity around, you're a bit younger than me, but around the ballpark age that we are now yeah. to do something either completely different or just change things up a bit before you then get to, I hate the word retirement, before yeah. before people start to, to well, talk about we've retirement. we've got an ageing population, you know, we're all going to live a lot longer. It's really unlikely that we're going to be retiring at 64. I mean, that may all change as well, the retirement ages. It's midlife is opening up to be an even longer period of time than maybe it once was. I mean, I tend to think of midlife from, as being from about 40 to 65. That is a huge chapter of your working life. And I felt strongly that I didn't want to become another statistic of a perimenopausal woman that drops out of the workforce potentially at the top of her game. And the stats are quite shocking around that. I think it's 25% of women that feel they're having perimenopause symptoms leave their job. Because it's very easy for us all to just blame work as well. I mean, it was my go-to initially. Well, I'm feeling like this because of work because it is such a big part of your life. But again, that chance to pause made me realise actually it was a number of things. And I called it with my boss, actually my conscious uncoupling from work because it was just a kind of conscious admittance that I'm just not loving this anymore. And that is absolutely all right. And you've been really instrumental in getting menopause talked about 
a lot more. You championed the menopause workplace pledge campaign at Hello, I think three years ago, and with people like Gabby Logan and some incredible women, and the conversation reached Parliament last year. And perhaps in some ways, you perhaps didn't realise it would hit you like it did, but it, it has to be talked about, doesn't it? Because every woman in the land will go through that. And it's not this big, scary thing. It can be a time to just embrace your wisdom and your age if you've got the knowledge and know what to do and can have the help. That's it. And I'm such a passionate believer in the power of women sharing their stories. And that really has been game changing for me and why I'm sat here with you now sharing mine, because I think that there is so much wisdom that we can pick up from lived experiences. So it's really great to see the menopause being talked about by people like Davina McCall, who made her brilliant documentary series, Wellbeing of Women, a fantastic charity for whom I'm proud to be an ambassador, with whom we launched the Menopause Workplace Pledge. So that's all about getting companies to sign up to acknowledge that the perimenopause and menopause occurs in the life of all women and to pledge to better support them in the workplace as they go through that time. Because there's very simple adjustments that can be made to women's working lives that make it all a lot more easy to cope with. And we've now got over 3,000 signatories on that and it's growing constantly. So I feel like the conversations are being opened up. There's still a long way to go. What about the coaching itself? How are you helping other people? Yeah, I'm really loving the coaching. So at the moment, I've just got about four private clients, which I'm happy with. I don't want to have too many and I see them either fortnightly or monthly. Most of them are going through transitions in their careers. That tends has become sort of my speciality and I help them distill what it is about their current life that isn't working as well for them anymore as it once did and what their values are, what their strengths are. And we look at rather than help, you know, how they can fit themselves into a job vacancy or a certain mould, how they can have a greater awareness of themselves and how that will propel them into the next chapter of their career. And is it very satisfying seeing people change, I suppose, before your eyes and making positive change to their lives? It is. And the coaching experience is very different to mentoring or even the role of a journalist where you perhaps have a slight agenda in, you know, what you're presenting. Like the coaching experience is all about giving the client the space and the time and asking them the provocative questions that are going to help awaken some self-awareness in them and I think having been through that journey myself I know how that feels and it's hard and it is emotional at times but it is so so essential if you're going to grow and be able to move forward and coaching is very much about a growth mindset as well which I really like and it can be very practical But it's really talking people through the scariness of, you know, as I felt with leaving a big job, it's almost like rock climbing. I always use the analogy where you've got to take your hand off the rock in order to be able to move up and pull yourself up higher. But it's the taking the hand off that's the scary part. So a coach is there with you to help you get through that stage, but also to hold you accountable so that a goal that you have becomes real. And we can work together on the little steps towards it. And the coach can hold you accountable to doing those things that you say you want to do. It must be quite reassuring for them to have you sitting there with them, guiding them, because your career was so high profile. I remember often looking at Instagram thinking, gosh, Rosie Nixon's career looks nice. You were always somewhere looking great somewhere. And I thought, gosh, what a dream job that must be, having Mm. dipped my toe into that world. So it must be quite reassuring if you're 
being coached by you because you really did take your hand off the rock big time and have found a really nice balance. And it's great that you're still connected to Hello. But what was it like on the day when you really quit, when you quit the full time? Yeah. Three days a week. How did you feel? Was it an excitement or or a nervousness or anticipation or well, there's what, always where was your mind a, a at that bit, point? Yeah, there's always, I think I'd be lying to say there wasn't nervousness. I mean, because there always is a little bit, but I think by that point I'd done all the working out. I did know 110% this is the right thing to do. It had really been a two-year process with the kind of semi-burnout stage in the middle of that, <laughs> further pushing me in that direction. And it was just that bit by bit of disentangling the stepping stone approach, I think really helped. And all of that deep thinking and my husband and I having all of those conversations, we'd sort of felt that I would only do it once I'd set myself up as a consultant, which I'd done anyway, actually, because I was writing my books. So I already had a separate company. And that once I had at least one retainer worth X amount, from a brand, then that would give us the financial security. So as soon as I had that sort of conversation there, it was as though the scales had tipped and it was a kind of a no brainer. So and you were off. I was off. Yeah. But I was ready and all that thinking had been done. You know, as I say, this isn't about just jacking in your job and seeing what happens because that would be silly for anybody. Um, Most it, it, of us just can't. Just no, can't, I mean, can't it's terrifying that. that thought. So I think that would have been very terrifying, but it was very well planned. What about the kids, Rosie? Because we all jiggle, don't we? Working men and women have got a lot of balls in the air at the same time. Are the kids, do you think, enjoying just perhaps having you round more? Oh, or? absolutely. I mean, they actually cheered when I told them. Did they? Yeah. They both just cheered, which was just like, that told me everything. See, the other thing that I learned during the time that I had off work as well and my pounding the Surrey Hills was that your job won't thank you, but your family will and your health will, your body will. And I've really felt that in buckets. Oh, yeah. I bet. And I bet just being out in nature as well and giving your mind space, you know, to, yeah. to think must have been great. You are surrounded it is. by stunning countryside. And running you. on your own timetable, I think as well. Maybe it's something to do with perimenopause as well, but you reach a sort of age where I'm just like, I just want to do my own thing. If I want to go for a long walk one morning, I want to be able to do it, you know. And if I need that day off work because I want to go to yoga and I want to be there for my kids that pick up and take them out for whatever, you know, after school, I want to be able to do it. And I should be able to do it. And I've earned this, actually. Yeah, you've worked hard to get to that point. You're writing your fourth novel, what kind of books do you write? I am two thirds of the way, I would say. I could probably tell you the exact number of words <laughs> if I thought about it. Of my fourth novel, which is the third book in the Stylist series that I write. And it's such good fun to write. It's about a girl called Amber Green, who is a stylist. She starts off as an assistant to a super stylist in the first book, which I wrote back in 2016 now. I can't believe it. And then I wrote a sequel, which was set in New York. And then this is the third book. It was always going to be a trilogy. It is a couple of years late, but HarperCollins <laughs> have been wonderful and stood by me, I think, as they now realise the journey I was on, which didn't leave much time for novel writing, because it does take a lot of creative headspace to write a novel. But I'm at the stage now where it's in my head all the time, and you're really living with the characters, and you know them very well. 
It's comedy. It's sort of a romantic comedy to write. This one is about Amber, who's now assisting a big celebrity and she gets very embroiled in her life. She's almost like a therapist as much as a stylist because she understands that to make somebody truly look amazing, come alive in the best clothes, they've got to fix what's inside of them. So, and the world of fashion has changed enormously in the time that I've written it. When I wrote the first book, it was all about smoke and mirrors and high octane glamour and looking absolutely the image of perfection on a red carpet. And now in this book, it's actually about authenticity. So maybe there's a bit of my own journey in there too, actually, about lifting the veil and that everything you see on social media isn't exactly what it seems and helping somebody to become authentically themselves. And also you're a passionate believer, as I am actually, in the power of kindness, but you've gone one step further because you've got a Be Kind book, haven't you? Yes. You yeah. Wrote. Yeah. I wrote that book during the pandemic. It's a book that's sort of available to dip into and suitable for all age groups from my boys really enjoy it from children up to whatever age. And it's all about the power of kindness and how to harness kindness in different areas of your life. So starting off with self-compassion. So that's, again, feeds, I guess, into my journey as well, that the most compassionate act you can do is really listen to that inner voice and be in tune with it and understand who you are. And I think for many of us, the pandemic was a time when we perhaps thought in greater depth what kindness actually meant, because just by staying in our homes, we were performing this huge act of kindness towards our neighbours and our families and everybody that lives in the UK. But also we had to think about our own health as well. So I wrote that book with lots of contributions from people in the public eye. I found that it soon spiralled actually into a celebrity book, which it wasn't intended to be at the beginning because everybody I asked was very keen to contribute. So there's some really lovely pearls of wisdom and insightful quotes and practical tips on how to bring a bit more kindness into your life. Who gave you those pearls of wisdom? Yeah, lots of people. Gosh, from Holly Willoughby to Fern Cotton to Ronnie Wood, Paul Weller. Gosh, a whole range. Matt Haig. There's a quote from the Duchess of Cambridge she was then in the book. A whole variety of people. So... I think it's an uplifting read, something to keep on your bedside table and dip into if you need a little bit of inspiration. Something else to keep on your bedside table, which I've only just discovered, so I think I'm a little bit late to the party. Oh, yeah. But I have a, I was given actually a five minute journal, which oh, I started yes. on January the 1st. And I can't actually go to bed without doing it. It's supposed to be done a minute or two in the morning and at night, but I do it all at night. Oh, wow. And Gosh, that's a powerful thing to yeah. do and an easy thing to do. Yeah. And you mentioned that that really helped you. It did, journaling. But I actually didn't do mine sort of written down in a book. Mine's all on my phone and I use the note sections on my phone. And it was a note that I still have on there that the title of it is My Future. And it was there that I did all of my journaling. I love having it on my phone, actually, because if I am having a bit of a wobble one day, as we all have, I don't claim to have it all fully worked out. Then I look back and it helps keep me back on track. And I'm like, no, actually, that is right. That's where I really want to be and helps me uphold some boundaries and keep the focus on what I want my future to be. So this season, Rosie, every last question has been about risk. Yeah. And I'd like to end by asking, what's the biggest risk you've taken, well, in your life? I was thinking about this earlier, and we've talked a lot about that risk of leaving a big job. And 
it does feel like a risk in some ways, even though, as I've explained, I had done all of that thinking, there's still a tiny bit of you that's thinking, oh God, I hope this is going to figure out to be the right thing. But none of us know what the future is going to hold. And I think all that we can do is try to work with what we have in the here and now. So I think that probably felt like a risk, but one that's paid off. I'm so pleased that I did. And you realise as well that your job is just your job. And actually all my friends and family, nothing has changed. It wasn't like the world ended when I did that. So there's that. But actually I've just thought, I think the other risk that I took was my husband proposed to me a year after we'd been together and I was totally shocked by it. I really didn't see it coming. And I asked him if I could think about it for a while. And I did think about it just for a few days, actually. We were away in Hong Kong when he proposed. And it felt like a risk saying yes. Did it? Yeah, if I'm completely honest. But I am so glad that I took that risk <laughs> because he's turned out to be an amazing one. So I think that as well, it's a big question, isn't it? Will you marry me? Will you do something for the rest of your life? It is. It, and it's also it's a, a big question answer. probably after a year. Yeah. Did he, how did exactly. he react when you said you needed to think about well, do you it? you know what? I think his reaction was one of the things that really helped me to kind of come around. He, he just said, you know what? That is absolutely fine. Take all the time you need. I'm just telling you how I feel about you. And I could see us being together for a long time. But the pressure's off. And I just think knowing that pressure was off as well really helped me. Made it much um, easier. Yeah, it made it much easier. And perhaps, yeah, I just needed to do that thinking, get up to speed with him and confront what I was afraid of by not saying yes. Yeah. That's so great. That was a risk that paid off. Yeah, a risk that paid off. And also a big thank you to him because we're actually sitting in his garden. We office, are, we? yes. Surrounded <laughs> by all sorts of guitars and drums and I know, and the boy, keyboards. the man it's, cave. We're in the man cave. So thank you to Mr. Nixon. Is he Mr. Nixon? He's Mr. Macmillan, actually. Thank you yeah, to Mr. Macmillan. Macmillan. And thank you to you, Rosie, for sharing what has been an incredible story and really inspiring. And I knew coming to talk to you that if we got your story on the podcast, it will help lots of people. And I'm, I'm really confident it will. Oh, thank you, Helen. I hope so. Really do. Thanks for the opportunity. You're really welcome. You have been listening to Rosie Nixon, former editor-in-chief of Hello Magazine, now editor-at-large just one day a week, and newly qualified coach talking about the life-changing moment which has set her on an entirely new course, which she hopes will help others in the same burnout boat she found herself in just over a year ago. Download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple and Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. I'll be back next week, probably not in a lovely garden office, but I'll be somewhere with another great guest. Bye for now. 